Welcome back. We're still here. The Women's Respect Pod Festival. Give, us some, give it up, give it up, give it up. Make some noise, make some noise. Wake up. Wake up. Wake it up. Stay woke. Stay woke. Guys, I, know, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a shift in scenery. I'm sitting down because I get to be a part of this next one. How fun is that? Um, we have uh, one of my favorite shows here. I might be a little bit biased, but you know, whatever. It's Women's Respect Podcast, so I can do what I want. Uh, women at Warp is a twice-monthly podcast where four women, who are Andy, Grace, Jara, and Sue, who's here with us today, uh, talk about Star Trek, its representations of women, contributions of women behind the scenes, and other fun Trek topics. Make some noise for women at Warp! 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 Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for showing up. So as uh, Kennedy mentioned, I am the only one of the regular hosts uh, able to make it today because we are spread out across the continent. Uh, But I do have Kennedy and Annika here with me. And uh, what I like to do whenever we have guests on the show is ask you both to briefly talk about your history with Star Trek. All right. I'm Annika, and I'm a contributor and uh, guest with uh, Women at Warp. It's a great podcast that everyone should (laughs) definitely do. And I also have my own Star Trek podcast now, (laughs) Um, Antimatter Pod, uh, that I... um, a, one of the uh, regular hosts, and I have been in Star Trek fandom since I was a little. Um, my father was a professor at Wesleyan University, which is a strange liberal arts uh, <laughs> college in Connecticut, and he was a theater professor. One of his strange liberal arts students decided to do his thesis as a stage presentation of Balance of Terror, the original series episode and I got to see that when I was seven or eight years old and I was like this is cool I found out it was a a television series and that there was a a new television series coming Uh, it's when uh, Next Generation was first uh, coming out and so I got really super into it um, and I have been a Trekkie ever since and I have like forced it into my education, into, I've made my children watch it with me, <laughs> I, um, I go to conventions, and like I said, now I have a podcast, so Star Trek everywhere. 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 Um, yeah, I'm pretty steeped in it as well. Um, I would almost consider myself a second generation tracker. Um, my mom got me into it, who got into it because my grandfather got her into it. Um, he was watching it one night, and my mom, as a child, was annoyed and went to change the channel. He's like, don't you touch that TV. <laughs> she was like, ugh, fine. And sat there and fell in love with Leonard Nimoy as Spock, and then saw Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, and pursued a degree in communications, and then had me, and was like, this is the Queen Mother, Her Royal Highness, Nichelle Nichols. You must say the full title, otherwise you're being immensely disrespectful. And uh, it just stuck with me ever since. Um, I also do a lot of panels. Uh, someone recently called me the local Trexpert. I said, what? 
was like, when did that happen? I don't know, air dates? They're like, no one does. And I'm like, you haven't met my mom. Um, so yeah, I, Next Generation was the one that was on when I was a kid. So that will always be, you know, my root. Um, I'm one of three people that will die on the hill of Janeway. Um, Janeway? And uh, I have not seen Discovery yet. Don't hit me. Um, but that too can change. But yeah, I just everything about Star Trek through the, the whole construct of ship captain crew, um, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations in spite the one haircut that all Vulcans have. <laughs> Highly illogical. Um, but yeah, everything about Trek, I just I feel is is important. It's been culturally significant. It's been uh, technologically impactful as we all have tricorders and things and looking at flat panel TVs that they had in the 60s, you know? So um, Trek is everything. Trek is life. And I will die on that hill. I don't care what nobody says. <laughs> so uh, Women at Warp was recently at Star Trek Las Vegas. And one of our hosts, Grace, was on a panel on the warrior women of Star Trek. During that panel, the question came up, or the idea came up, that you don't have to be a literal warrior to be a warrior. So uh, I wanted to jump off of that panel a little bit into this one and say, what does it mean in a Star Trek universe for a character, or particularly a woman, char- a woman character, to be strong? Jeez, there's a lot. The first warrior that wasn't a warrior that comes to mind is probably Luxana Troy. You know, she was definitely not fighting anybody's battles, but you couldn't tell me she wasn't fierce. Like, everything about Luxana, like, there was a, a great line that they had in one of the earlier seasons of, of Next Generation where Troy was like, Mother, be serious. And she was like, I'm always serious, dear. I'm just very pleasant. And I was like, Wow! That, that, it never occurred to me to think of her that way because she always was pleasant and jovial and, and very outgoing and, and unapologetic in her jovialness. But it never occurred to me until that moment that she didn't play with anybody. Like there was no games in Luoxana's house. Like everything was real life all the time. She just did it with a smile on her face and with a twinkle in her eye to let you know that she wasn't, you know, a terrible person but was still uh, very serious in what she said. Like, that is some warrior stuff right there. I thought that was really strong. I love that answer, by the way. Um, So I want to talk about Kes, who I think is like, you know, the opposite of what you would think of as a warrior. Um, She's the smallest, she's the youngest, she looks like Tinkerbell. Um, I call myself Pixie, Um, and so I, Really, like, I, I really saw myself in Kess. I was the right age, and she was um, someone that I could sort of say, like, oh, this is me in Star Trek. Um, but she doesn't get a lot of respect because a lot of the people, you know, every other character in her series or in any of the other series really um, were more of a warrior, were more of a quote-unquote strong woman. Um, and she was in a caring position. She was a nurse, if she was anything. You know, she was really a student. Um, and she was a teen girl, and teen girls are like the lowest on the totem pole of any, any pyramid of, of group of people. Teen girls are at the bottom of it. Um, but she found a place for herself in that 
ship. Like she was like, well, I see what's missing. What's missing is no one is paying attention to the doctor. Um, no one treats him as a person and no one is helping him out. And so I can do that. I can do all of these things. And she had the wherewithal to go to Janeway and be like, hey, you know, you're using this computer program as your only doctor. You should probably give him some respect. <laughs> like maybe we, we should work on that and, and turn him into a full member of the crew. Um, and she did the same for like, she did the same for Paris, she did the same for Neelix, she did the same for Tuvok. Um, she was always someone who like saw something that was, someone who was down and was able to figure out how to bring them up and, uh, and help them out. Um, which was a lot like Janeway in that, so she was like a little mini Janeway, but Janeway was so loud and Kess was doing it in a quieter, um, more caring way that um, I just think is very strong. It's, it's easy to be strong when you're loud, but um, when you're quiet and still get the job done, that's pretty amazing. I always think first when these questions come up of the, the women on Next Gen, because that for me as well is, is the series that's in my heart. Um, and I think a lot about how fandom tends to dismiss Troy and Crusher because they're in nurturing roles or caregiving roles. First of all, as if those aren't important. Right. Which is something else entirely. But um, if you look at the, the backstories that they've given to these characters, especially uh, to Beverly Crusher, which will not be a surprise to people who regularly listen to the show that I'm going to talk about Beverly Crusher. Um, <laughs> This, uh, this is a character whose parents died when she was young. She was raised by her grandmother on a planet with, depending on the account you hear, had a lot of either disease or disaster happen on it. Um, she got married and had a child. Her husband then died, so she became a single mother. Mm -hmm. She is a scientist. She is a scientist at the top of her field because she's on the Federation flagship. And the, the fan community dismisses this nurturing role because right. she's the doctor and like the mother on the ship and to to make it through all of those things happening in your life all of that loss that takes incredible strength that that character is not given credit for yeah i agree even when they they when she was reassigned in the second season mm -hmm. um to head of starfleet medical yeah aka surgeon general yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I had forgotten that, you know, first time around. Uh, the second season had some gems in it, um, but uh, Pulaski was, was, was touch and go for me, right? We obviously needed a doctor. We, it was great that they filled the role with a woman and not, you know, a, a masculine force. Um, but her, I'm going to say it, racism towards Data was like, and I'm not even a data head. Like some people will will ride for data hard. I appreciate his contributions to the to the to the crew or whatever, right? But she was like, he can't think. He's a thing. It's an it. Whatever data. And Jordy was like, what you're not gonna do is talk about my best friend like that. My best friend has feelings, even if they are cybernetic feelings. You better watch your mouth. But I just so like caught up in in her being there and her, her prejudices that I completely overlooked the fact that, yeah, Crusher was off the ship because she was Surgeon General. So there's, there's clout there that wasn't quite established in the way that it should have been, to your point, 
too, but they kind of threw her a little couple nuggets here and there, um, which I feel like is interesting overall. We've had a lot of Trek-based discussions this week, and a lot of them talked about how women's roles were... Uh, it's like the Madonna whore complex. Either you're this fierce, you know, badass warrior Xena princess, or you're a Buffy Gabrielle type. And it's like, to your to your credit, it's it's really fascinating to see that there's no gray area that people can't do both. So on the subject of Beverly Crusher, um, you can also universalize that to any mother in all of Star Trek gets no respect. (laughs) Um, Except Loxana. (laughs) Yeah. She said, you will put some respect on But she gets no respect from fans, or at least male fans. (laughs) Um, Interesting. So, I... So even though she, I absolutely agree that she is a queen, basically, like she's queen of Betazet and she, that's how she considers herself. Um, and, but like Captain Picard doesn't treat her, like he treats her as a nuisance and runs away from her and like makes excuses. Like she's an ambassador. He should be giving her the respect that she deserves as a leader of her planet. And he literally runs away. She's also little. She was very... But she, did, she did not respect his boundary. She didn't. He was like, I am the captain of the ship and I respect your position, but what I need you to do is not look at me like that. Yeah. Like, like, I am not your man toy. I am yeah. a person. You will respect me. She's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Lurch, come get my stuff. That wasn't his name. What was his name on the show? Mr. Hom. Mr. Hom. Mr. Hom, come get my things. But can uh, we just briefly acknowledge when she's talking to Odo... And he is trying to, you know, get her to go away by saying, I turn into a liquid every 16 hours. And her response is, I can swim. Yes. Queen. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Takes her wig off. Mother literally took off her wig, snatched her own edges and said, here you go, baby. You can rest in here. (laughs) What? I'm not taking my wig off for no dude, yo. I don't care how much liquid you need to be for 16 hours. You're not getting in this lace front. You can forget it. <laughs> Sorry, completely derailed the conversation. You, you had a point. Right. You no, did. Just that that I um, like Keiko, like um, is is probably the mother that we see doing the most mothering. Like Beverly really didn't yeah. get a chance to yeah. actually raise her child mm-hmm. ever. Um, but we do get to see Keiko raise uh, Molly and Yoshi, and she's another one where people just don't. Give her any respect on screen or or off screen. Like she is seen as a nuisance and someone who's in the way of fun times and someone who's putting herself where she shouldn't and the nag and all these things. And it's what? like Keiko is amazing. Who was saying these things about Keiko? Who was oh it? Point gosh, out the entire internet. Yeah. Show me. I will fight them all. Um, we we had a writer do actually a discourse analysis on the interactions of Miles and Keiko O'Brien and and posted this very like academic thing on on the Women at Work blog. And you know, came to the conclusion that the negative statements and the nagging was pretty equal in that relationship. It's not a great TV relationship, but um, the the comments you can only imagine, of course. like the vitriol that came out against Keiko, and like not only the sexism, but of course the racism that comes with it, Ugh. and it's just like 
the amount of hate that people have and also like want to display for some of these characters is kind of astounding. Keiko was so supportive. She was a whole botanist. Like she was a scientist and put her life on hold to be on this ship with Miles and then to relocate to this station in the ass crack of space with Miles Mm -hmm. and then also put her parenting aside or like she, even though Miles definitely felt bad about the position that he put her in, right? He was definitely like, I, I don't want you to feel like you have to make a choice between your science and your, your art, your craft, and your relationship, but I, I have this duty to this thing that I'm not even, I'm just enlisted in, I'm not even an officer in. So he was cognizant of, of what he was requiring of her, but she still sacrificed so much, even of her relationship. Even if she, you know... She still was married to this man. Like, she still had feelings for him. She was, you know, obviously they had not one but two kids. And I just feel like that's... Who said anything about Keiko? Like, I will... <laughs> she was so supportive. Like, how... Like, quintessential ride or die. Like, quintessential. And when there was something she wanted to do, when she wanted to go on an expedition, when she wanted to go on a mission, he was the one to complain about it. I don't want to make you feel bad. I'm sorry I made you sacrifice, but also I need you to sacrifice a little bit more. Yeah. And while you're out there doing your botany, take this kid too. Yeah. And also I'm going to accuse you of cheating on me. Because he was insecure. Yeah. Miles is is somewhat problematic. Oh, man. (laughs) You're ruining Miles for me. Sorry. (laughs) I was just re-watching Next Generation, and every time I saw him, I was like, oh, Brian. Because you have to say it like that, because he was like the MacGyver of Deep Space Nine, you know? That ratchet behind Raggedy Station, all he needed was a duct tape, a tube sock, and a prayer. And he would get himself running again unless Keiko had to go somewhere. Then it was an issue. Damn. Damn. (laughs) So what about Dax? We've obviously got Jadzia, who I think is the more stereotypical warrior, strong Mm -hmm. character. But then we get Esri. And I know, Annika, you have a lot of feelings about Esri. I have a lot of feelings about Esri. Um, Esri was the the actual, like, first main character who I just glommed onto and was like, oh, my gosh, this is... is the, the character I've been waiting for in Star Trek. This is the one who, like, represents me as a person. Um, she, was, she was so young, and she was still finding herself, and she was a counselor. She was helping people. Like, the, that's what I wanted to be and do, and I just got my um, master's degree, and I studied counselors in Star Trek um, for it. Um, so, like... Esri, Esri started that, you know, way back when, when I was first starting um, college, and I, I love her exactly the way she is in the in this series, um, in her her one season, and she got so much, like she had a, a terrible job to come in when Jadzia died and I mean it was a horrible way to be introduced there was so much drama behind the scenes because of that whole situation it was just awful um but I fell in love with Esri immediately like I really I loved Jazia but Esri was like you're Mm -hmm. perfect um and it was because she was imperfect it was because she was scared um and she was okay with was showing that um, and she kept, you know, courage is, is doing it anyway, and that, like, she really embodied that. Um, and then 
in the novels, like post the, in the continuing saga of Deep Space Nine, um, they made her a captain, which is great. I, I, I totally approve of okay, that. Okay, Esri, but, you better get them pips. But the reaction <laughs> from people were like, oh, finally they, they had Esri do something useful and interesting, and, and they finally made her into a good character. And it was like, Yo. you just like, deleted me, <laughs> like, per, I took it personally. I was like, wow, so unless I become a captain, which I pretty much can't do, because starships aren't real. To, <laughs> yet. <laughs> I, I can't be a strong character, I can't be a strong woman, I can't, like, what are you talking about? It was just, it was just wow. so. And, and so as much as I approve of her ambition, and I, and I think that's great, you know, I love um, Admiral Cornwell in Discovery for this, you know, because she was a counselor who became a commander. I think that's amazing. Um, but Esri was great already. It's sort of in um, Iron Man 3 or something. I think they, they says Pepper Potts was already great. You didn't do anything to her. Like, mm. she, she was already a hero. And that's how I feel about Esri. It's like, she was already the best. Yeah. They didn't improve her. And, and also, that in and of itself, and the way people view counselors and, and through Esri and through, through Troy, it speaks to the stigma of the importance of mental health, right? They feel that a lot of folks tend to perceive mental health as a luxury or as, a, as something that's superfluous and not terribly necessary. But when you look into the context of Star Trek in particular, like, this is a ship full of thousands of people and families. Some of them are permanently posted here. Some of them aren't. Like, they're going into create. Like, who doesn't need therapy after encountering Q? Like, who? <laughs> what woman doesn't need to talk to somebody after you just dealt with Ferengis for a week? You know, like, there, there are certain elements to this, this sandwich of, of being a functional Starfleet officer, doing your job, that are overlooked. And one of them... This might be the lettuce or the pickles or whatever necessary vegetable that needs to be on the sandwich to make it full is mental health. And Troy did that. Eventually, they even let her wear a uniform with pips and everything. Um, and then Esri fell into that as well. And it wasn't until I took a minute to respect Troy and her role overall in this, in this, uh, in this story, in this ship, in this crew, whatever, um, that when Esri came on as a counselor, I was like, oh... They needed you like six seasons ago. Wow. Way to be Johnny come lately on it, but she was so very necessary. I agree with you on that. Voyager desperately needed a counselor as well. Yes, and Janeway <laughs> saw that early. She was like, we need a whole counselor out here because I'm not qualified. <laughs> I didn't even think we was going to be out here for this long. <laughs> we were literally just supposed to go around the block and back. Now I got this half crew that's a rebel, half... Oh, this crew doesn't even want to be here. My ship is not really ready to go. I don't have no fuel. We're out of coffee. Like, <laughs> I need to talk to somebody. Man. Yeah. One of the things I loved about Voyager um, is that the nurturing characteristics were pretty much universally found in the male characters. Like, other than Kess, it was Tuvok, Chakotay. yeah. Um, Neelix sometimes. You know, like, yeah. They, like, they were the ones who... who he was took, in the kitchen. Who were the caretakers. He was barefoot making sandwiches. Yeah. They, it, was, they was, it was this interesting, you know, gender switcheroo. Well, to the, the point of mental health, I just... I, it 
brought up to me the the scene where Tuvok, I don't even remember what episode it is, you might know, um, where, where someone is, is speaking to, to him and like complimenting how well he kept it together in some situation, and Tuvok's response is, do not mistake composure for ease. Mm. And that, that has always struck me as somebody who like struggles with anxiety, um, as, as something very deep. Because, you know, you might come across like everything's fine, where there's turmoil inside. And I've always, you know, looked to Tuvok. And now on Discovery to, to Saru, um, as, as much better depictions of dealing with that sort of thing than, say, uh, Reg Barkley. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I want some broccoli. I just watched Hollow Pursuits the other day, too. Ugh. I was like, oh, Reg, you poor thing. I just want to hug him. So, but come here, baby. Come here. Just bring it in. Just bring it in. There was such a strong... The fact that he even made it to first contact was just so great. Just seeing him be a nervous wreck trying to talk to Zephram Cochran. Like, just mm. shout and, out to the anxious. And we, we see do you. thank Deanna Troy for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, my, my brothers and I say, you know, just dealing with Jordy's relationship issues would be enough to keep her busy. <laughs> like, you know, so many things. The, the, like, four or five times that Picard's mind gets taken over, mm. like, they really yeah. needed her. Yeah, desperately. Desperately, desperately. Yeah. But when, when we think about characters who are, are kind of afraid, who are dealing with a lot, who are figuring themselves out, I don't think we can leave out Hoshi. And yeah. as, as much as some people like to skip Enterprise in these discussions, we don't do that here. Um, Hoshi was absolutely brilliant yeah. with language, but like terrified of space, mm-hmm. but decided that this was important enough to her and intriguing enough to her that she would figure out how to, I don't even want to say get over, but live with that fear yeah. to pursue her work. And I think that takes an incredible amount of strength. Absolutely. As well. And, okay, so it was Hoshi, it was T'Pol. Mm-hmm. And that was it. It was just two women yeah. on that show. Mm. <sighs> yeah. I take two steps forward, we take three steps back. We go from Voyager that has all the women mm-hmm. to Enterprise where there's just two. Who? Some cowboys. Yeah. A whole lot of cowboys. And those, those two women on Enterprise rarely interact with each other yeah. because of their, their positions on the ship, mm-hmm. right? And it's so, it was so much easier for Voyager right. to, to pass the Bechdel test um, because of the positions of the women on the ship. Because right. your captain and your engineer were both women, it is more likely that they are going to be speaking to each other in any given episode. When you've got, I guess... To Paul was science officer yeah. and communications. There's not necessarily a lot of interaction. But speaking of To Paul, the the crap that crew put her through. Yeah. You know, trying to make her more human, trying to make her conform. And when she says she's not interested, they essentially harass her about it. Yep. Yet she chooses to stay on that ship because I guess she believes in the mission and she believes in the their two the the beginnings of the Federation and the the humans and the Vulcans working together, but they they put her through a lot of crap. All the things. Yeah. I also feel like T'Pol's willingness to to stick it out had a lot to do with the fact that she was running away from a lot at home yeah. as well. So that was a character that was definitely in flux, someone who was assured of themselves, 
right? And she knew who, T'Pol knew who T'Pol was, but T'Pol didn't always know where T'Pol was going. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she was like, well, I'm young, what, spry 70-something? I can do this for a little bit. I'll play with these humans and their little ship, I guess. And, you know, the, Enterprise is such an interesting specimen of Trek because... And this is just how I feel about it. Um, we're open to discussion here. They, every other crew, right? Every other series, the writers had a more clear understanding of where they wanted this group of people to go before the actors found their heart, right? Before the onstage crew found their heart, the behind-the-scenes crew knew where they were going. Except for an enterprise where that crew, the onstage crew, found themselves early. I want to say halfway through the second season, they all knew who they were, right? But the writers couldn't quite figure out what they wanted to do with them. The writers failed them before the cast did. Yeah, I agree. I th- I've always said that the issue with Enterprise is that the showrunners, the people who are in charge of building the world, didn't trust their premise. They, nope. they were afraid of actually being a prequel of actually doing these different things that they could have done and they just they didn't trust their premise and they didn't trust their audience so they like just went with the blandest possible yeah. thing and then people didn't watch like why would we it also hit at a difficult time yeah. uh, just in the world of television you know um, Enterprise was the show that was airing during 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, they had a lot of episodes that, uh, according to John Billingsley, uh, were mandated by the network. Like, you have to do a story addressing this, and you have to do a story addressing this. Wow. Um, and, and he said this this year, just about a month ago, that there were, were stories, and you know, Star Trek tells us morals, that there were stories that he and other members of the cast didn't necessarily agree with, but they were mandated by the network. Mm. And then by the time they actually let them tell the stories they wanted to tell. By the time they found their their footing in the writer's room, the show was basically canceled. Right. But that late season three and season four, where they're doing like three, four, five part Serialized. stories, yeah. yes. kind of like classic Doctor Who did, you know, everything that's, that's new is, was old, whatever it is, um, they were already canceled. You know, everybody had given up on the show. But that is, especially season four, is some really great science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a shame that people write off the entire series. Yeah, yeah. It it mm, it had such because for me it also kind of had little sprinklings of Andromeda in there, a little uh, f- final conflict. So there was definitely a Roddenberryan feel to the show, even though he had been long gone and didn't have any direct dealings with its conception. Um, I feel like there was effort made. There was definitely effort made to to make it happen and. Once I, once I got over myself <laughs> and watched Enterprise like with a fresh slate, I was like, oh, I see what they're trying to do here. It made me excited to sign up for Starfleet myself again. You know what I mean? And, and it, it, it's interesting because as a prequel, as something that wasn't quite the Trek that the Federation that we knew and loved, it did have to take a couple steps back. We went from a very you know, feminist, woman-liberated voyager to, to Paul's in this cat suit and only in this cat suit. Yeah. And um, some of their ideologies were very antiquated 
even at, you know, for us in this time frame, they're still supposed to be several years into the future. So Enterprise was in a weird juxtaposition that, uh, whatever, Scott, I'll just talk Scott Bakula. <laughs> there are definitely some, some, I think they're memos from the, the early creation of Enterprise where the, the creators are literally saying, like, we haven't focused on white men for a while. <laughs> yeah, because, okay. you know, there's no focus there at all. There's Not never all. historically have enough attention been paid to white cisgendered <laughs> men. You're absolutely right. What the hell was I thinking wanting to make sure that other yeah. people were represented? I mean, it, it certainly felt like by placing it before the next generation, or not the next generation, by placing it before the original series, that they felt they could use, you know, 1960s uh, mores and social norms, and that did not go over well. They could give them an excuse to do whatever they wanted, and they could just say, well, it's because that's the way it has to be, because it's before TOS, and you have to see. Like, just, just some of the things that they were saying on that show, you know, watching it earlier, later last year, was like, this is old... Now, in 2018, this is not old. How, how did it make it past the Third World War? How do we... So we only have a few minutes left, but uh, we have not talked much about the original series. True. Uhura. Uh, Let's do it. Queen Mother, Her Royal Highness. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that your girl was a whole communications officer. She was a bridge communications offer and officer in particular not only was she translating on the spot right but if anything broke down she was underneath the hood so to speak to make sure everything so while hoshi built the the server right hoshi wrote the code for the software that uhura was was using uhura was still encountering things that obviously the op station in the rest of the series is, 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 is mm-hmm. a series I, whatever plural is, um, had built into the consoles. Hora was doing all that stuff at the same time and keeping her posture correct and somehow not letting her ass cheek slip out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And, and had this really cool uh, air about her like, I'm an officer in this, in this peacekeeping armada. I'm an expert in communications. I'm still a little nervous. Because there's a lot of dudes on this ship. I don't know where we're going. And my captain really likes fighting. I just want to do my tour and go home. I don't know what this white man got me out here doing, but all that stuff. Who was first officer? Wait, what? No, Spock. Spock. Spock was first officer. Yeah. But Uhura was in the command chain. Yeah. No one was ever Well, <gasps> oh, shout out to Makia coming out of here nowhere. She had signs like this was a WWF. She was first officer. <laughs> Not according to the novelizations, but mm. um, <laughs> but on the animated series, she ran a lot of the away missions. One. One, just one. Just one. <sighs> um, when when all of the men were off the ship, she could be in charge. Uh, Ooh, but shade. I think we've got a a, a weird feeling right, about Uhura in current day fandom. You know, we know and we respect and we tell the stories about how groundbreaking she was, that there's a black woman as a bridge officer in the 60s, inspiring people, inspiring uh, Whoopi Goldberg to go into acting, inspiring Mm -hmm. Mae Jemison to go into actual space. Right. Um, And yet, 
today, I feel like I see joke after joke after joke on merchandise, on t-shirts, on the internet about her being, you know, a glorified telephone operator or a glorified secretary. And I'm I just, sorry. like, where did, when did that change? Exactly, right? <laughs> How many languages do you know, Romulan? Can you speak whale? Because this bitch speaks whale. <laughs> Niyota Uhura can speak humpback, bitch. What can you do? <laughs> Shut the hell up. I'm gonna talk about the queen mother like that. I will fight you. But it just it's she will fight you in the mirror verse. She'll shank you and put it away. <laughs> It's kind of, it's a weird juxtaposition, right? Because we know this history and we know how important this character is. And yet we're also suddenly making fun of it. I don't, where, where did that come from and when did it start and how do we stop it? Okay, so I have a, a theory. Yeah. Um, when 2009, Star Trek 2009 came out and they made Uhura the third lead after Kirk and Spock. And the problematic girlfriend. And people were like, ew. We don't, we don't want that. We don't want her. Like, she's supposed to be just the secretary over there, and she's cool, and we can give her lots of attention, and we can, like, say that she's this great, strong, inspirational woman, but we don't actually want to put her in a position of power. We don't want her to have actual uh, ability to change Spock or Kirk's mind or, like, do, do something active. How dare and, she do and, her job? And, and yeah. actually be in, in, a, in a real position to, um, to do things. And I think that the backlash to the romance and to the fact that she, uh, like she, she displaced McCoy in a way. Um, they saw it as the, as the trio of men. Mm-hmm. And that movie put her up there and said, no, actually, we're going to have Uhura in this vision instead. Um, and people got upset about that. And, and they were loud about it, and they convinced everyone else that she was the problem, and she was never as awesome as she obviously was. Right. So there's a set of the Star Trek office supplies. You can find it on Amazon. And it's got, you know, notepads and notebooks and whatever. And then there's the while you were out notes. And that is the only piece of that set that has a picture of her on it. Burn it. Can you believe it? That's, Set it on fire. That's the, the part that makes me the most angry is that like this is a licensed product and now it's it's perpetuating this terrible idea. Mm, but kill it with fire. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Give it the Ripley treatment. <laughs> kill it with but fire. We are at just two minutes left, so do we have anybody with one quick question? Sorry to run long. Yeah. Is Tuvok the best dad in Star Trek? Oh, I sure shit ain't Worf. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that Cisco's the best dad in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Because he had no problems, you know, encouraging his son, even especially because he wasn't, you know, pursuing a career in science or in Starfleet. Um, thought about his son constantly. Uh, was not infallible in that he recognized his own prejudices when it came to Jake's relationship with Nog um, and grew past that and also had no problems showing affection to his son. Even when Chirac Lofton was you know, a solid foot taller than Avery Brooks, you know, he still made the time to kiss that kid on his forehead. And I, I, can't, I'm rack, I rack my brain constantly to think of you know, fatherhood, depictions of fatherhood, depictions of black fatherhood in particular, where you see them show physical affection, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just felt that was really special. 
And that was something that uh, Avery Brooks insisted on. Mm. You know, when they told him he was going to be you know, a single black father, he was like, this is what we got to do. This is what we're going to do because we need this positive depiction. We need this on screen. And I think they, they did it wonderfully. He, yeah, definitely. Cisco is the best dad in Star Trek. Tuvok was a good dad. I feel like we didn't see him be a dad. Right, we didn't yeah. get to see it. We, we, he was, it was implied. But he was, was a good even, friend. He was even a granddad by the end. Yeah, granddad! <laughs> he can be best granddad. Grandpappy. Grand Tuvok. And, uh, just because this is my brand, Sarek is the worst dad. Sarek is the worst dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well, we have to wrap it up. Oh, there's, yeah. I don't have a question, I just have a quick statement. Sure. Um, Going to challenge. Yes. Why did I skip this? I don't know. I don't know, but now's a good time. You have 50 years of programming to catch up on. 50 years. All right. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just give me one more extra minute. Because to her point, what would be your suggestion if somebody does want to now jump into Star Trek? Oh, okay. So. Do they have to go TOS? Where do you jump into Star Trek? My answer to this is always, what shows do you like? What do you currently like to watch right now on television? I watch, um, I don't watch television. Okay. It gets me too agitated. Fair. I do watch, like, uh, Celestial, I, I, Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Um. Ooh, yes, come through Michaela Cole. kind of campy, I go either Next Generation or Voyager. Yeah. Um, the thing with Next Generation, I love it with all of my soul, but start with season three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. When if you're going to watch it, you suffer through the first two seasons like the rest of us. This way, when no, season no, three you happens, you'll be like, oh. I said, start with season three, <laughs> get to back. season six, and then you can go back and watch one and two because you've fallen in love with them. <laughs> oh, but then she misses... Oh, you're going to miss Tasha. No, you, you don't miss, miss it. You just go back to it later. When you, won't, when you won't quit because of it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Or Voyager. Or, yeah. And Voyager is the most like Grey's Anatomy. Just... <laughs> Yeah. If, you, if that's what you like, Voyager yeah, is Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you want dark and gritty, you go Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. If you like really like the way 60s TV was made, if you're all about like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, you go TOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are into the serial, or even, even Enterprise, honestly, even For though it has... Yeah. yeah, but if you, if you want like the big story arcs, like the Netflix of today, then you Definitely start out with Discovery. Oh. Or, or Deep Space as well, yeah. Deep Space Nine is also the blackest Trek. Yeah, yeah for sure. Easily. Because you've got Jake, you've got Cisco, you've got Worf eventually, you've got Bashir. I'm counting Bashir because Alexander Sadig El-Fadil is Sudanese. So, even though he plays... <laughs> he is! Even though he, he plays uh, an Indo-Pakistani, he's, mm-hmm. he's 
you know, ethnically African, so I, I count him. And as Deep, well. Deep Space Nine is definitely also your most politically minded yeah. Star Trek. Um, Deep Space Nine. And it is the, the most direct about it. You know, TNG has its moments of like, oh damn, they did that on TV in 1991. But like, Deep right. Space Nine does it the whole seven years. Yeah. Picard's like, we're yeah. going to dance around the diplomacy, and I'm going to be very yeah. generally uh, conscious of everybody's feelings. Whereas Deep Space Nine was like, boom, this is wrong, and here's why. Boom, this is why we should leave this alone. Boom, I love my black son, you know? And it's very much like, uh, on your definitely, yeah. you know, unapologetic about it. I agree with you Absolutely. on Absolutely. But I don't want to run too much into anybody else's time. Uh, I always like to ask, where can people follow you on the internet? Um, I'm Manic Pixie Dane on Twitter, um, and Pixie Dane pretty much everywhere else. Um, if you go to manicpixiedust.com, you will see all of my links. Cool. Where's your podcast at? Antimatter Pod. Nice. On the on the on Twitter and Tumblr right now. Awesome. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm gonna Antimatter, Antimatter Pod. Pod. Yes. All right, got you. Um, I am uh, on Black Tribbles. <laughs> Surprise! Um, you can find us on all the social medias. Uh, you can also follow the Away Team at your Away Team on Instagram and Twitter as well. That is um, my my. Blackity Black Star Trek podcast um, with uh, Tony Ray. That'll be coming soon. We've got some episodes canned, so we'll be releasing that shortly. Awesome. I personally am on Twitter at Speltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R. You can find our show at Women at Warp on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, womenatwarp.com, and we are also part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, so I would suggest checking that out as well. Thank you guys for coming out. Thank you, Pod. <laughs>